I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. Good morning to all of you. This is good to see all of you here today. Tomorrow is the day that we in the United States of America honor Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And it's hard enough to earn a doctorate degree, but even harder as a black man earning a doctorate degree in the United States during the time that Dr. King earned his doctorate degree. And tomorrow, we celebrate his efforts to bring about a more unified nation by moving past racial conflicts, discrimination, and to build on our foundational principle that all men and women are of equal worth. And as a preface to our panel discussion this morning, I would like to begin by reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one, and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. In my mind, this is one of the axial passages in the New Testament. Everything we strive for revolves around participating in the creation of the one new humanity. When we, as a church, break down barriers and dividing walls and work to end hostility between people groups, we are doing the work for which Christ gave his life. Mm -hmm. This is the trysting point where heaven and earth meet. Dr. King said, we may have arrived here on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. And that's true, all of us have. Um, my ancestors came here because they wanted to escape a tyrannical and corrupt government. Um, my wife, her grandfather, literally swam across the Rio Grande with his legal wife on his back. He had another family that he left in Mexico. Um, and when he arrived, he worked in the fields with his wife and his children, 
Julie's mom. In the fields near Fort Morgan, Colorado in the summertime, and then Phoenix, Arizona in the winter. From Julie's grandfather to her, she has graduated from college with a master's degree, um, is now an employee of our federal government with uh, a top secret clearance. She knows things I don't know about our country. Um, that's quite a jump. Tony and LaDonna, you two arrived here on an entirely different ship, and I'm sorry. And Mark, I don't know if your family arrived here for the same reason, mine did or not, but no, okay. All right. Um, Brenda, you are here from Guatemala, and you moved here for love. Isn't that right? <clears throat> she is married to Tony. And when I read the passage in Ephesians, I think that patterning our lives after the Son of God is not so much about duty as it is about love. The commandments and ordinances have been abolished because so many times, instead of destroying hostility, they get in the way of love. And so this morning, we want to bring each other together and to listen to Tony and LaDonna from the African-American perspective, Brenda from the Latin perspective, and Mark, who has been dating LaDonna and convinced her to spend the rest of her life with him. Um, they are now engaged. And, uh, um, so Mark has a unique perspective about that. Um, our intention today is not to belittle, ridicule, or mock anyone. That happens enough in the world, and uh, that doesn't help bring us together. Um, but without anything else, I want to give these guys the time to speak. And I'm going to begin with the first question, and it's open to all of you. Um, well, let's begin by talking about some positive steps we in the United States have made to move forward in this area. Okay, I'll start. Let's make sure it's on. I'm LaDonna, and I definitely, throughout the years, have seen a change in America um, that have been positive. Um, I am African-American, identify as an African-American or a black individual, and I have been graciously had the ability to have friends of all ethnicities, all cultures. My children are biracial. They come from two other different ethnicities. And so I have been raised in a house where my mom was from Louisiana and my dad from Texas. And we were taught love and to love all others that don't look like us, that don't um, walk the same way that we do. And so I think that's been a positive step. I work for a company that uh, puts out a publication, and about 20 years ago, we had on the cover of the publication a black man and a white woman walking their bikes in front of a beautiful park. We got some backlash from that, um, people saying, how could you show that on a, on a magazine cover? And I think we see now, you see more interracial 
families together on commercials in advertising. So I think we've made some positive steps um, going forward, but we do need to uh, look at what we're doing in the future and, and improve what, what, what's going on in the future. So. What I have seen here at church is that the outreach ministry or the missions ministry is going to different places in areas where uh, different ethnicities or uh, races have been reached for God. What I've seen is um, I think that this country, by even honoring a person like Dr. Martin Luther King, is a big step forward by honoring um, the achievements and accomplishments of people of color. And then I, even when I, I can remember back when I was in high school, back in the year 2000, um, I was told by even my parents that you know interracial dating was a thing that was taboo back when they were growing up, and I saw so much of it when I was in high school. So I think that that was a very positive step forward. So I'm, I'm supposed to be a co-moderator with Baruch, and I'm not supposed to answer questions, but I kind of want to answer this question as far as improvements. <laughs> well, I'm married to a girl from Northern Ireland. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> You know, um, these guys are getting married in September, and what, back in the 40s and 50s, maybe early 60s, in the States, that would have been against the law. Imagine that. Not anymore. We all clapped. I, was, I remember being in, in the South, I'm from the South, right, Birmingham, and uh, this guy was teaching a class, there were about 200 people at church, and he was giving great marriage, well, Great marriage advice, a preacher, a very famous preacher in the Southeast, and all these good tips about marriage. And he said, one thing now, one thing, it's just a mistake for people of different races to get married. There's just all kinds of complications with that. And he went on for about five minutes. Well, there happened to be um, a, a white girl and a black guy that were, I don't know if they were engaged or dating, sitting on the back row when he said that. Well, they got up and they came forward and they sat down for the rest of his lesson. <laughs> And you clapped. Isn't that awesome? We've changed. Okay, so we wanted to start out positive. We wanted to say, hey, we've got problems here. Oh, man, we have come such a long way. But I, I want to talk about some of our challenges, and I want to um, ask the question like this. In James chapter 2, Mary and John read this. And did you, Were you listening to that? My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And so he talks about, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes. That could be, suppose a Hispanic comes in or a, or a Caucasian or, or somebody from the Philippines or somebody from China or somebody that's white or somebody that's black. Whatever the differences are, if you so, show a special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. And we said, that would never happen. It has happened in churches, hasn't it? But say to the poor man, you stand here or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not, and here's our, our word that we're, we're wrestling with, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then he goes on to, to address that. So the Holy Spirit's clearly addressing discrimination, but not in the nation, not in the community. <laughs> But in the church, 
So I was just wondering, and, and we've dialogued a lot of this together. You can tell they're quite prepared. The question is, if the Holy Spirit were writing this chapter today to us at Eastside, not, it's easier to talk about our nation, isn't it? But if he were talking to us in Colorado Springs or to our nation, I'm going to give you like four or five questions. You grab whichever one you want, okay? And Baruch and I have permission to kind of jump in with more questions. What, what would he say, here's what's going on still at Eastside? What are areas we still, we've, we've seen some improvements, but what are areas we still need to improve in our nation, our community, our church? And, and part of it is like, what do I not see? Because I'm a white man. Most of us here are white in our community. As I'm saying, everything's pretty cool to me. What is it I'm not seeing that you guys maybe see? Does uh, racial conflict and discrimination, does it still exist? Which is kind of a stupid question, but I'm just asking that. Um, and if it does, how? And I really want to hear from you guys. What are your, what are your experiences? What's it like to, to be a minority in this congregation or in this city? What are your experiences? And how do folks come feel when they come here and they're not looking just like me or Baruch? And, then, and here's another part of it too. Because um, I know some of us might be asking, well, how, does it work in reverse? Discrimination. So I just threw out a bunch. <laughs> go. You can grab all of those. And we don't have to go one, two, three, four, and then we're done. We can come in and out all we want, okay? We did this around my kitchen table, and I said, oh, I want everybody to see this. So we need my table right there. Go. I'm going to start. Um, I was born and raised in another country, so everything I learned from the United States was through history books or movies. So when I started dating Tony, I never had any issues or my parents or anyone down there until I came here for a meeting and a person from the United States asked me, are your parents okay with you marrying a black guy? I was like, yes, they are okay. Me marrying him, like they love him. I love him. He loved me. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about that, but since then I knew that was going to be an issue. And being with his family and learning from them is something that kind of worries sometimes because they are always like, oh, we have to behave better. We have to be thinking ahead because we have to make sure that we are not being targeted as criminals or uh, that we are not considered the bad guys or having to think like, am I behaving well? Am I doing my best effort to be at the level of everyone else. So that is something that I learned until I moved here. Um, Some examples I have, my sister and I and my brother were born and raised in the church. She moved to Virginia and had made a comment that she went to a, a church of Christ and the individuals there had told her she was in the wrong church because there was a black church that met down the street. And so Her and I, throughout the years, have had that discussion, and I let her know I picked a church because I felt like it was family, not because of what everybody here may look like. Um, I've had experiences where people have uh, called me colored, and I'd like to explain that I am a person of color, a woman of color. You can identify someone that may have brown skin hues as that way, Um, or I'm African-American. And so I've had people here call me colored. I've had people as well ask, um, how did I get here? Um, 
I am born and raised in California. Dad was a Navy captain. Um, even if I was from Africa or another country, um, I did find that interesting because I thought if I brought friends here that might look like me, they may be very intimidated by having our church members here make comments that way. Um, I do many times wear like bright colors, and I love African clothing, and I've had people ask me, I really love your African costume, and I, <laughs> I want to emphasize that I'm not wearing a costume. I am wearing African attire, or I may just be wearing African clothing, but when you identify someone that might be Native American wearing traditional clothing or African um, clothing, it's not a costume, but it is our attire. And so that has been something I've heard numerous times here. Um, and I, I want to be comfortable bringing my friends of different ethnicities here and not have other people make comments that might be demeaning. I have to say I've been very fortunate um, since dating LaDonna. My friends, family, and coworkers have been uh, welcoming of the relationship, uh, open about it, and uh, it's been a wonderful experience. But I did find that I have to, you, you, I still have to look at myself and see how I'm thinking about things because I had to change sometimes the way I thought. If I thought I was acting correctly, I may not be. You know, it, somebody takes it differently than how I perceive it. Um, so that's one thing that I had to look at in my own self. But uh, otherwise, I feel I've been fortunate with uh, everybody accepting our relationship. So I'd have to say that I, I feel like even as a nation, as a community, as a community here at Eastside, I kind of feel like we're pretty siloed. And I think that it's always comfortable for like people to hang out with like, for other people that think and act as they would. And so I think that in the dialect, in the dialogue, it leads to some very interesting perspectives or paradigms about other people. And so some of the things that you'll hear in hallway conversations or even on social media are not always very positive. And you can kind of tell, like, okay, I think that if this person actually had a different perspective, maybe their words wouldn't seem as harsh. And so I... And so I will say, for me personally, some of the things that I've heard about um, from some of the people in the, uh, in the East Side community about African Americans, I would say are kind of skewed. I, I feel like oftentimes people will look at us through a lens of being maybe criminals or growing up in fatherless homes. I've heard comments like that. And for me, I will sit in the congregation and kind of think, is this where I really belong? You know, is this really what people think? And it, it, can, be, it can be a little tough. Because um, huh. you are a good father. <laughs> Thank right? you. Thank you. I would also like to add that me representing a different uh, minority, uh, I get the looks from different groups. <laughs> I have to say that when we go out uh, together and they see that I'm married to a black guy, even the black community gives me the look like, why is she with one of us? <laughs> and yes, I know that I got one of the best, but... 
But yes, I, I, I have to be aware of like when somebody look at me speaking in Spanish to my daughter. I don't know if they are looking because oh she can speak two languages or why she's speaking in Spanish to her. So it's one of those things that the community, being in the community, made me think like should I just switch to English and like merge with everyone else here or should I keep uh, instilling in my daughter the love for another culture? Okay. Well, we're moving so fast. I mean, I'm sitting I got the time sheet. I'm like, good grief, we can just chat forever here. <laughs> yeah. I think there's one thing that Brenda said that's really important is that this is not just black and white just because Martin Luther King Day is tomorrow. It's, it's, it's about Guatemala. It's about people from China, Japan, or it's about, uh, I, I would guess one of the greatest challenges for us may be the Muslim communities that, uh, throughout the world, in, in the Middle East, in that area. Um, so while, we're, while a lot of this has to do more with the, the black-white stuff, really, the, the principles kind of go beyond that. So I want us to hear that. Um, Brooke's got question number three. Okay. So Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Rome, and uh, they didn't do the best job of getting along all of the time. Um, and so Paul gave them some directions and some guidance. Uh, one of the things was that the stronger was to yield to the weaker. Um, he said in chapter 12 of Romans that uh, because of God's mercy, we should offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Um, and that is that's spiritual, and that's our service of worship. Um, so, if Paul could write to us, and if I know very much of Paul, if he could, I know he would. Um, pretty strong personality. He's got a lot of, a lot of thoughts and ideas. Um, but talk about some solutions moving forward and uh, what, what we can do. Um, yeah, to create a more unified humanity I and mean, how we can understand each other better. I would say just open the conversation. Um, since we are so siloed as a community, as a country, just talk about it. Um, I think that once we start changing the dialogue from an us and them kind of dialogue, well, it's their problem, it's them, when we start talking about we, I think that starts breaking down borders. Um, I actually had a great conversation with a dear brother of mine, and it was kind of impromptu. He came to my house, we were just talking, and he asked me, he's like, so how is it being a person of, you know, a person of ethnicity living in this city? And it was this weird, awkward kind of moment in silence, and we, we talked about it. And I shared with him some of the things that I had experienced, and he took it all in. And I actually shyly asked him, I said, so, because he does have, he suffers from autism. And I said, my friend, I understand nothing about autism. And I've always been afraid to ask, so help me out here. And he broke it down. He said, this is what it's like 
living day to day with autism. This is what your world would look like. This is what it looks like for a person of autism. And I would have to say that I gained so much respect for him. And we still talk today about it. And I think that that is what's going to start breaking down the borders between people. Again, changing from an us and them to we. Let's talk about understanding. And it's not just like Baruch said. It's not just about race. It could be about men and women. It can be about disabled and non-disabled. So many things can be interjected into that conversation to create unity. Um, I would say that I remember my mom telling me one time she had made something and I said, oh, I hate that. And she got on me and she says, we don't use that word in our house. And growing up, we used to kind of roll our eyes thinking, oh, if we say the hate word, mom will get mad and, you know, get on us. And when I started having children, I realized that hate starts in the home. That's where it's taught. It's, the kids are picking up things out in the schools and out in the streets and in social media. But when you hear children repeat certain words, they've learned a lot of that in their homes. And so I instilled in my children, you know, you might dislike something, but you won't say hate in the house. And so I thought that would transfer as well to their upbringing as they're in school, dealing with different ethnicities, different friends. Um, as I mentioned, both my daughters are biracial. Their father is Hispanic and white. I'm African-American, so they make some three different ethnicities, lots of boxes to check on all the forms. <laughs> So I think, as um, Tony mentioned, having the conversation, um, I'm a pretty open person, and I love when someone comes to me and says, hey, you seem to be able to wear braids in your hair one day, and the next day you're wearing a different style. I have the, the capability of doing so much because my hair is so unique. I, I want to talk about that if you have questions. I want to talk about what my day is like. I remember when I first moved here walking down Tejon, I was shopping and a car pulled up next to me and screamed the N-word and they just sped away and I just stood there kind of in silence thinking, what did I do to have someone feel that they could do that? Um, people on the streets were kind of shocked, they didn't know what to do and a couple other men on the other side ran over and said, are you okay? You know, I said, I, I am, I think, I don't know. And that was just so blatant. But it happens in different ways. Um, and I think, again, going back to what you said, Baruch, a solution is having the dialogue, um, break, asking questions. If you, if you go to your work and you know there's a person of color there, but you just don't associate with them because you don't know why, um, take that challenge to get to know them. You may have a neighbor that doesn't look like you, no matter what skin hue they are. Um, get to know them, and um, I've always prided myself in knowing my children have friends that are so different and from different countries, and I think that, again, started in the home. I think, uh, as Tony and LaDonna were saying, communication, uh, also education, information, and introspection. Um, look into yourself. Realize that what you may perceive as as uh, 
reality may not be the reality that somebody else is going through. Um, so that's, that's a very important part of uh, moving forward. So. And I would like to say that just remembering that we were all created uh, by God and we are resembling him, we all, no matter if we stay in the oven a little longer, <laughs> but we, are, we were all created by him. And um, in my case, uh, I had to move here and learn about a different culture. Uh, question, questions, that helps a lot. Uh, you, you grew up learning from books, from movies, from what your parents told you, but we don't know what other people uh, grew up thinking or uh, learning at school or their own reality. Uh, we have a joke with Tony because I question, like I ask too many questions, like why is it done this way? Why do they say this? Why, how? And he's like, why are you always questioning me? It's like, I want to understand and don't do things that will harm or like say things inappropriate. So I would really want like make sure that I have the information I need to have so I can relate with others without causing any problems. And, and to piggyback kind of on what Brenda was saying is if we are a body and we love each other, we're going to work to understand each other. We're going to work to cross those bridges. And just like how I was kind of getting annoyed with uh, why are you asking me so many things? I didn't realize what she was doing, but at the time she was working to understand. And I think that instead of sometimes how we just kind of put out blanket statements about these people or this situation or this, maybe we should start asking more questions. And what may seem annoying or uncomfortable at first is actually the beginning steps to healing and understanding. I'll say that um, I think Using your words kindly and softly is a big uh, help. Our goal here not only is to be a family, like I mentioned, I came here because I was at other churches kind of bopping around, and when I came here, there I felt the love in this church. And it didn't matter what any of you looked like. I knew that I was going to walk through those doors, and I was going to receive hugs. I'm a hugger. I love hugs. And so... People were coming up to me asking, you know, what's your name um, and, and wanting to know about me. And so I'm here because you're my church family and our goal is to help all of us get to heaven. Um, my mom would always say, you know, you can't have a party just by yourself. So going to heaven alone is not going to be fun if we don't have the person sitting next to you um, or in front of you. And so we may be our family, but this community has other members, other people that need to be part of our family. And even though they may not look like how you look, your goal is to be bringing those souls to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, another point, too, along with what you were saying, LaDonna, is um, there is a book written by Don McGoughlin uh, called Love First. Yes, Love First. And in that book, it describes that the church as a whole needs to be a light to the world. People are looking to the church for help, for solutions, because they're hungry. And with everything that's going on in our world, the chaos, the all kinds of things going on, people are looking for hope. And in that book, he describes a situation in Africa where there was a village that was being um, completely taken over by an infectious disease. 
And there were people from the United States there in that community helping to cure um, the infectious disease. But the villagers had such a horrible um, paradigm against the people that were there from the United States, they did not take their sick to the, uh, to the hospitals. They would rather go to the witch doctors. And part of my own fear for the church is that the world is going to look at us like that, that they would rather go somewhere else than come to the church. I really like the idea about opening conversations and asking questions. And uh, um, Well, so one of the things my mom, I remember my mom telling me more often than anything else was, you need to think about what you say before you said it. Um, so apparently I said a lot of things that I didn't think about. <laughs> but um, even if we do ask questions that may seem dumb, or ignorant. You'd rather us ask and, and learn and understand, um, and that way we can get past them. Even if you are a CU fan or a Nebraska fan. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's really important. Like, we don't want you leaving and going, oh, I'm scared. I'll ask a question, use the wrong word, or say something. I think if your heart is in the right place, that, that's, that's a huge piece of it. We're going to stumble and say the wrong things, but to have these conversations, these guys, their hearts are gold, absolute gold. And as a matter of fact, they want me to tell you that if, if you want to talk to them afterwards, they'd be happy to, to talk to you. Um, we realize that we didn't say it all. You go, you left out this, left out that. that we, we knew we couldn't do that, but we thought, you know... That's real life out there, and it's supposed to be real life in here. We need to be talking about how our faith intersects with, with, with real life. And we knew that we can't talk about everything and say it all. Let's, let's come up with three, some questions, as we did. And we want to keep the, keep the conversation going. We wanted to create a, a sense of, um, of awareness. Because some of us may be going, well, what are you talking about problems? We want to say, wait a minute, maybe there still are, there are um, and we also just wanted to really to challenge you to think, um, to look into your heart and say, wow, maybe I wonder about me and, and what are some areas in my life that I can be more like Jesus in this struggle that our, our nation, our community, and our church still, still has a problem with. So we want to keep the conversation going. That's really important. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, in April 5th through 7th, I think we have a slide for this, Richard. Um, Tony already kind of mentioned Don McLaughlin this guy's coming he's written a tremendous book buy that book all right ahead of time Um, the information about the book is on the table there he's going to be a guest speaker Friday Saturday and Sunday he's a minister in Atlanta and just a very gifted speaker and this is his sweet spot this is his theme where God is using him in a very powerful way so I want you to plan on coming and being here for that um and then after that, cl- after that weekend in April 5, 6, and 7, we're then going to have a four-week class that um, I think everybody up here is going to be in the class, plus Eric and Gina. And what we're going to do is you're not getting to say, yeah, but this, but that, whatever. We want to invite you to come to that class. So it's April 5, 6, 7, the weekend with Don McLaughlin. After that, we're going to have a four-week class in 121 to 122. Baruch's going to kind of be leading that. We're, uh, thanks to Gina Poole, we have on all our communion tables... 
um, resources because realize we can't do everything today and so Gina's put together resources for young kids, resources for older kids, movies, podcasts, places online to check and see. As a matter of fact, you can pick this up but part of the challenge with this is um, you don't want to type in like there's like a whole bunch of letters here for one of the websites so you, we'll put this, Sarah, on uh, on care mail. Let's get this out in care mail so you can click on it but when you go to the communion tables we want you to pick up uh, the resources for, for further study. And a big part of that is because there's, a, there's a, a practical to-do section on this handout we have for you. It's at every one of our tables here and here. And it says here, what about me? What can I do? Because you may be sitting here going, I'm so glad they're doing this. Because Andy and, and Kelly, they needed this today. <laughs> I mean, you know them, right? I hope they were listening. Look, you know, I told Pastor Ted, I was walking around saying, and he wouldn't know what we're doing. I told him, he said, every one of us need to hear that. I said, yeah, there's something in me that needs to improve in this area. What is it in you? I want you to think about that. Um, what are some steps you can take in a very practical way to live out Jesus' vision of one new humanity? What are specific things you can do to be a positive light in a world of racial conflict and discrimination? What are changes I need to make? Areas to improve things I need to stop, things I need to start. Take this home and, and really work through that. So that's on the communion tables for you. Brooks started us out this, at our time in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a, it's a beautiful passage and it, it talks about how, how Jesus came and brought peace and these racial issues in their day between Gentile and Jews, Jesus solved that. The barriers that were there, Jesus broke those barriers down and he created one new humanity and that was done through the cross we're getting ready to take communion we're getting ready to remember what Jesus did through the cross when we come to the cross with Jesus Christ and we're reconciled with God if we're coming to God then we're automatically inevitably we're coming together as one new humanity regardless of our ethnicities or where we come from and I love I love this passage in the book of Revelation, you know, he's got all these pictures, these visions that the Spirit gave John. And one of them is this vision in heaven. And everybody's worshiping, thousands upon thousands. And he says, you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's the vision of one new humanity that is there. And, and then I thought of this passage also as we set up for communion. You were all, all, all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all of you who were baptized into Christ if you have never been baptized talk to us about that join this this beautiful family all of you who are baptized in Jesus Christ have clothed yourself not with costumes but with Jesus there's neither Jew nor Greek and we could feel it in our daytime slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You should know about that, Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. We spent however long talking about ancestry.god. We talked about our ancestor Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That whole story, that promise that was made was all about creating what we're talking about today, one new humanity. And so in a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and we're going to invite you to go to the various communion tables that are here, two there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask our shepherds to go to those tables now to be available to pray with you guys. Just spread out if you would. Um, The rest of you kind of look at them and know who they are so you can go to them. 
We're going to the tables. There's some places down front here too and in the middle. We're going to the tables to remember. It's a memorial of Jesus' death on the cross. We're going to the tables to, to celebrate what Jesus has done. But I want you to take these pieces of paper and think about based on what Jesus has done. What is God calling me to do? To live out, not simply Dr. King's dream, but Jesus' dream and vision of one new humanity. And so I'm going to pray and we're going we're to go into communion. And if there's somebody here that just can't get up and go to the tables, I want to encourage you to uh, take communion to them. There's not enough shepherds to cover all the bases of praying with one another. So if you're here with a heavy heart and you need somebody to pray with you, grab these guys and say, pray with me. But if you know somebody and you do, let's give them a hug. This is a chance to, to meet and greet and meet and pray. Let's stand together and enter into our communion time. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your heart. I just love the way you love people. And we want to love people the way you love people. We thank you so much for the way that you bring us to your throne as one new humanity. You bring us through the cross of Jesus Christ. So now in this, in this sacred, holy moment, in this moment of communing with you, but also with one another, we stop to remember, we stop to celebrate what you have done and reflect on what it means for us, what we now can do to live out what you've done for us. We come to you now and to the table in Jesus' name. Amen.